Are we ready? All right. I am uh, David Herman. I am a your resident. No, I'm a. Uh, <laughs> I'm years now out of uh, residency at graduate from IHI in 2021. So back to present on the small topic of hypertension. So thank you guys for having me. Um, I did have a bring a med student with me. Wait, everyone. So, so, I went out following me in Sand Springs for the month. So um, yeah, so uh, I was chosen to uh, give this lecture on hypertension because of my 110% uh, pressure control rate, as you can see, compared to the uh, other providers. <laughs> Uh, no, in reality, I'm you know I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not anything special uh, when it comes to uh, hypertension control. But I'm going to try and teach you any of the uh, any of the other tips uh, that I can and uh, learning together here with this lecture. So, so just kind of a, a little bit of an outline. We've got a a lot to go over with hypertension because it is a, a big, big topic. So we, uh, why do we care about it? You know, what are kind of some risk factors? What are the definitions of it? Uh, we'll try and kind of work through some cases uh, in between all this um, non-pharmacological management, medications, and then if we have time at the end, getting into some hypertension urgency and resistance. Primarily, I'm going to be focusing on the outpatient side of hypertension because um, that's where I work. Outpatient, so that's my specialty. All right, so uh, I like to do a lot of questions. Uh, so I'm going to try and go around the room here. Everyone's going to get a chance to answer a lot of questions here. So first off, why do, why do we care about uh, uh, hypertension? Your patient comes in, yeah, my blood pressure is elevated. Who cares? So what do you, what do you think? What do you tell them? Because it leads to bad outcomes. Bad outcomes, good. What, what bad outcomes? Um, heart disease. Heart disease, very good. So what type of heart disease? All kinds of heart disease. What kinds of heart disease? Um, CAD. Good, coronary disease. Absolutely, heart attacks. What else? Congestive heart failure. Congestive heart failure. Systolic or diastolic? Uh, systolic. Both, yes. Both systolic and diastolic. So, hypertension cause both. What else? What else is What is it? Kidneys, yeah. Chronic kidney disease, dialysis. There, that and diabetes are the leading causes for kidney disease analysis. So, what else? Vision. Vision. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Hypertensive retinopathy. What else? Hemorrhagic strokes. Hemorrhagic strokes. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else? Can you think of anything else? Limb ischemia, peripheral arterial disease. Good. Memory issues later in life. Yeah. Vascular dementia. Yeah, sure. Anything else? Okay, yeah, it costs a lot of money. It's yeah, it kills. Thank you. That's what that's not supposed to be the number one thing. It kills. Yes, thank you, L Dog. <laughs> um, so absolutely, yeah. Costs costs a lot of money. Of course, it costs a lot of money. Everything in medicine costs a lot of money. <laughs> Thankfully, as we're going to talk about today, unlike diabetes. Most of the medications for hypertension are much cheaper. So, all right, why do we care? Levin LVH, we mentioned 
you know, systolic diastolic heart failure, ischemic stroke, intracerebral hemorrhage, ischemic heart disease, chronic kidney disease. So this is, this is my parting line to give every one of your patients. Why do you care? Every 20 points or milliliters of mercury, systolic blood pressure over 115, you're doubling your risk of heart attack or stroke. If I tell your patient, you have twice the risk of, of risk of heart attack or stroke for having a blood pressure averaging 135 instead of averaging 115, usually that gets people's attention. Now your blood pressure is 155, you're four times the risk of heart attack or stroke. So that's kind of like a, whoa, okay, yeah, maybe I do need to pay attention to my blood pressure. So that's a, a good line to give, give to your patients. So primary and secondary hypertension, what's the difference? Where were we at? We're back here. Any idea? What's, what's, what's the difference between primary hypertension and secondary hypertension? No ideas? Abigail? It's to do with, um, is it due to another cause like testosterone? Secondary to another cause. So if it's secondary hypertension, it's secondary to whatever. Primary, it just happens. So uh, primary hypertension, we'll start there. What are, what are your risk factors for primary hypertension? Diet, high salt intake. Yeah, high salt diet. Family history, yep. So up to 30% of cases of hypertension are due to a family history of it. So what else? Obesity. Obesity, absolutely. Um, smoking. Smoking, yeah, uh, sometimes. So it definitely causes, you know, arterial disease and stuff like that. But um, sometimes it relaxes people actually, lowers their blood pressure. So <laughs> kind of one of those, eh, maybe. Uh, what, what else? Age. Age, absolutely. So older patients. Anything else? I think like drug use, like cocaine, but I don't know if that would count as like a secondary. Yeah, so technically that falls under the category of secondary. But um, gender. Gender, yeah. So it's uh, definitely one. So anything else? That's probably about all I can think of. Don't look at the slide. Alcohol use, yeah, absolutely. So age, obesity, family history, race. So African-Americans, you know, higher risk genetic factors. So if you're born with less nephrons, you're born without a kidney, you're going to have higher risk for, for hypertension, high sodium diet. I think someone mentioned alcohol consumption, someone said physical inactivity. So, all right. What about secondary? What are some causes of secondary hypertension? Renal artery stenosis. Renal artery stenosis. Very good. What else? Uh, Hyperaldosteronism. Very good. Neochromocytoma, absolutely. Cocaine, yeah, there you go. What other what other drugs? Meth, very good. Prescription meth, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hypertension, uh, gestational hypertension. So, pregnant. Okay, yeah, that works. Sure. Acutely, that'll definitely get your blood pressure up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wedging syndrome. Very good. Yeah, that's a good one. Little syndrome. What is it? Little. L I D D L E. Okay, what's that? You have to explain that one to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I forget. It has to do with uh, something that licorice makes it worse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those that's like a kidney thing. Yeah. Okay. I'll trust you on that one. <laughs> I couldn't come across it. But. <laughs> Yeah, fibromuscular dysplasia. So usually that's going back to renovascular hypertension. So, 
Good. Those are all we're good. Okay. What about medications? What medications? So we mentioned cocaine, meth. What about medications we put people on? Pressors. What? Pressors. Pressors. Vasopressors. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the point of them. <laughs> so, I hope they. I hope they. Pressure. So, what other ones? People are just naturally on outside of the ICU. Contraceptives. Like contra oral contraceptives. Yeah. Very good. What? Entramine. Entramine, yeah. Yeah. So stimulants, going back to the Adderall Ritalin we mentioned, quantidine, you get reflexed. Reflux, so taking coming off of your quantidine, yeah. Um, uh, not so much, but what what's like gabapentin? What do we use all the time for pain? NSAIDs. NSAIDs is a big one. So chronic NSAID use. Yeah. And some Volta. Cymbalta, so antidepressants can potentially. So, um, yeah, definitely. Sudafed, yes. So, my Allegra D steroids, that's another good one. Yep. Very good. Going along with Cushing syndrome, you know, iatrogenic Cushing syndrome, and steroids in general. So, good. I think we hit most of them. So medications, oral contraceptives, NSAIDs, antidepressants, steroids, decongestants, stimulants. Imogen, who knew that that increased your blood pressure? There you go. Um, and there's others. This isn't an exhaustive list, but meth cocaine, we mentioned kidney disease. So both acute and chronic kidney disease can increase your blood pressure. Adulterism, renovascular hypertension. Oh, obstructive sleep apnea is another one we didn't miss. We missed. So looking at, at that for, for, for cause as well. Neochromocytoma, Cushing, thyroid, parathyroid, hyperparathyroidism definitely can cause high blood pressure as well. All right, so what's, a, what's our definition of high blood pressure? So who says over 120 over 80 is, high, is a diagnosis of hypertension? Who says over 130 over 80? Okay, who says over 140 over 90? Okay. So I think that's like a 150 over 100. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so going off of the 2017 American College of Cardiology, you know, normal blood pressure is less than 120 over 80. Uh, elevated is 120 to 129 over 80. Stage one, 130. And stage two, 140 over 90. And then so you always look at of the diastolic and systolic, which one is higher. So if the systolic is, is higher, if their blood pressure is like 142 over 88, and you go based off the systolic. If it's like 138 over 92, you'd use the diastolic. So either way, they're going to be elevated. Uh, so, all right, let's get into a cases. And there you go. Quick question. Yeah. Um, do you go by the AHA guidelines compared to, isn't there like, ANC. yeah, the other guidelines? And so this is, this is the most recent. So this is 2017. Some of the JNCs are a little bit older. So I figure the American College, College of Cardiology should know hypertension, so I go with what they say. <laughs> and then when we're, we're like uh, evaluated as primary care physicians through right. assumption, do they use this guideline over 130 over 80? No, so you're, 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 so like that chart I showed earlier that showed all the different providers and showed how well we're doing on control, it's, um, it's based on 140 over 90. So that's okay. what the ascension sticks to, and that's what you get graded on. So, yeah, which in some cases isn't really fair, but that's, we'll get here and there. 
So, and then we'll get in more to the, this is just the definitions, you know, for when you look at a blood pressure, whether it's normal, elevated, stage one or stage two. So here's a case. We got a 43 year old truck driver. She's coming today because she went to get her CDL license and there at the office, they said, oh, your blood pressure is high. You have to go see your primary care doctor before we can, you know, clear you for your test. Blood pressure there was like 142 over 84. So you check her here in the clinic, her blood pressure is like 134 over 76. So what's, what's your diagnosis? Where are we at? I don't remember where we're at. We'll start back over at the front. <laughs> we'll just keep starting over with John. <laughs> stage one hypertension. Okay, good. So based on that, that blood pressure right now, she is stage one hypertension. So would you um, diagnose her with hypertension and start her on medication based on that? So we got, oh, raise your hands for no. Raise your hands for yes. Okay. So you got two blood pressure readings now, but we have no ambulatory blood pressure readings. These are both clinic blood pressure readings. So your gold standard is really going to be ambulatory blood pressure readings. That's what we want to treat people on. So to make the diagnosis of hypertension, we, we want, these are kind of your four criteria before you can really diagnose them as having hypertension. So hypertensive emergency or emergency, so really, really high blood pressure. High blood pressure plus inorganic damage over 160 over 100 plus inorganic damage. Ambulatory home blood pressure monitoring with an average over 130 over 80, or at least three office based measurements. So it used to be two. This is kind of maybe a newer thought that we need now, maybe at least three, just because it's really, really easy, right? To find, oh, this person was in urgent care one time, and oh, this person was, was here in my clinic now over 130 over 80. So it's really better to have even more than two if you can, you know, because don't want to always be diagnosing everyone with hypertension when they do, you know, some people have legitimate high, white coat hypertension, their blood pressure at home is completely normal. So always better to get more readings, always better to get an average. So it's kind of the take home of this. Um, so you diagnose her with elevated blood pressure. At this point, you explain you really need more da data. You want her. So what are you going to tell her? Good. How often do you want her to take it? At least once a day. Okay, that's good. And when, how, when do you want her to come back? Um, Great, that's good. Yep, so, um, and then we, you also tell her, hey, in the meantime, it's not gonna hurt to implement some lifestyle interventions, right? So some of this is kind of redundant from all the other risk factors, but what lifestyle interventions can we tell her to, to implement? Um, just diet changes. Diet, diet changes. So less, um, less carbs. Less carbs. Okay. What else? What else can you change uh, your diet? Low diet or dash diet. Low salt. So cutting out sodium specifically. What else could you change your diet? Quit smoking. Okay. That's good. Not going to probably affect your blood pressure again, but you should probably do it. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what else? Exercise. Exercise. Yeah. So how much, all these little things, how much? So you tell her to cut salt out of her diet. How much do you think that's going to decrease her blood pressure? Five points. We'll give her five points for that. Okay. What, are, what about she wants to start exercising? How much do you think she can decrease her blood pressure by just, just starting aerobic exercise? 
What do you think? Around five. Yeah, that's pretty close. So eight potentially if she has hypertension, around five if she doesn't have hypertension, she increase blood pressure by. What about um what else? What else can we do? So we got exercise, we got diet. Anything else? Weight loss. Yeah. So that's a huge one. That's another good one. And so most of these is usually somewhere between like three to ten, you know. And so what else? Stress reduction. Stress reduction. Okay. You must be counseling track. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> She has road rage. Road rage, yeah, that could be what's getting her blood pressure up. Yeah, when she's in the trucks and she has to go down 75 every day, right? <laughs> okay, what else? <laughs> Anything else we can tell her to do? Avoidances, yeah, what are we avoiding? Drugs, yeah, okay. Good, good, good. So, caffeine, caffeine yeah. What else could you drink that's going to cause your blood pressure more than caffeine? Alcohol. alcohol yeah. How much? How much are you wanting her to decrease your alcohol to? Bro, okay, we've got some. I don't know. Church of Christ over here. I don't know. Female mouth is how many for females? One drink per day, and men get two because we're lucky, I guess, huh? Right? So there you go. <laughs> All right. So these things, every patient with elevated blood pressure, hypertension, we should be implementing lifestyle and modifications. It's even better than blood pressure than this. So look, this is a great, I stole this straight from up to date. This is really cool table to reference, but yeah, weight loss, five points, healthy diet, 11 points. Oh, that's, that's your biggest one is diet change. Reduction of sodium. That's an ICE question, guys. Yeah. Oh, dash diet. Which work with the dash diet? Reduction of the dietary sodium. So optimal is less than 1,500, so a gram and a half a day, which is way less than most of your patients are taking, I promise. <laughs> um, it increased your potassium. Who knew that was uh, one that could also decrease your blood pressure? So 3,500 to 5,000 milligrams of uh, potassium. So what's, what foods are rich in potassium? Who can tell me? Bananas. Bananas, spinach. Avocados. Avocados. Oh, yeah. Basically, if you said any fruit, fruit or vegetable, you'd probably be right, yeah. Potatoes, potatoes are high. Um, yeah, so increase your fruits and vegetables, basically, into the day. What else? Physical activity, really any type of activity, aerobic, dynamic, isometric, it's all gonna decrease your blood pressure. Aerobic probably being the best. And men less than two drinks a day, woman less than one drink a day. Maybe some points there too, so. Oh, here's, so here's the Ascension Protocol. I put this in here that you're asking about. So less than 140 over 90, you, if it's over that, you have to follow up with the physician within one month, so their blood pressure and then you also have to recheck their blood pressure a second time before they get back so anyways all right well this patient the patient follows your instruction she takes um her blood pressure daily for a month she cuts back on her ibuprofen she tries to limit her salt intake but lo and behold her blood pressure is still high so she calculated all those averages average came out to be about 142 over 84 so where were we at we make it all the way through everyone. I don't remember. Keep guessing. <laughs> we'll come back with John. No, I'm just... 
I think we're Sean. Okay, Sean, what's your diagnosis? What's your plan now? So it was the stage two hypertension. Yeah. And then my plan would be everyone's allergic to lisinopril, so Larsarcin, 25 milligrams, come back in two weeks and see. Good. There we go. That works great. I like it. Do you want to order any lab work? Yes. What do you want to order? M8. M8, okay. What? Essentially a lipid panel. Essentially a lipid panel. What? In a urine microalbumin. Yeah, wow. A urine microalbumin. Why do you want a urine microalbumin? Check your kidney status baseline. Okay. I mean, sure. It's not as big a deal as diabetics, but really mm -hmm. what you want to see is that creatinine. So you want to make sure, and then we want another potassium, right? If we're putting on the monlose heart, we're going to make sure we're not something really bad kidneys already. Before we're putting them on that. So that's, that's the biggest thing we really want to take. So yeah, so we're getting into the medications now. So what are your first line medications? So we mentioned Losartan. So what are our other first line classes? So ACE inhibitors, good. ARBs, good. Which is what class? Thiazide diuretics, good. And last first line class? Oh, that's not first line. Calcium channel, calcium channel blockers, so long. Good. So those are your first line classes that will be on like that's important question somewhere. They'll throw you a bunch of random medications and only one of them will be first line because they'll be in one of those four classes. So yes, long acting calcium channel blockers. So then there's a ton, a ton of other blood pressure medications. Probably won't be able to get into all of them today, but I do want to talk a little bit about the first line ones. Um, so here, what do we have? Oh yeah. So, what's kind of your algorithm for where, which, which one of those do you want to start on first? They're all first line, right? So I have a choice of about twenty medications now. Maybe I can choose from, right? They would all be considered first line. So, how do we decide? They have diabetes. They should do an ACE or an ARP for kidney protection. Good. That's good. You can do based on rates too. So I know the corthaldone is better for African Americans, and then ACE and ARP is considered better for Latinos. So based on, so basically what we're saying is we're trying to treat the patient. We're not just putting them through a standard algorithm, right? So that's what it comes down to. So, you know, there's, there's an algorithm. Here's up to date's algorithm for starting, you know, patients on blood pressure. Here's David's cheater algorithm. But ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to treat the patient. So this is mine. Are they over 160? Start them on a double amlodipine benazepril. Is it less than 160? Do they have CK2 diabetes? Then I definitely want to put them in ACE or an ARB. If they don't have those, then I can start amlodipine. So that's kind of my cheater algorithm. But, you know, there's more than one way to do it. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want to match blood pressure medication along with their um, underlying comorbidities. So every patient has comorbidities, right? Pretty much. So that's what you're trying to block. So I'm going to kind of, this is an up-to-date table showing a bunch of, you know, contraindications to certain classes and likely to have favorable effects and compelling indications. So, right, if they have heart failure, they need to be on ACE or ARB, a beta blocker, aldosterone antagonist, you know, kidney disease, they need to be on ACE or ARB, all those sort of things. So we'll kind of go through it by class, kind of some of this is kind of repeated. So um, ACE inhibitors, lisinopril, benazepril, enalapril, ramipril, lots more. Um, heart failure, CKD, diabetes, post-MI, you definitely want to use an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. Um, cons, angioedema, so cough is the big one. We always, everyone has a cough after starting on lisinopril, right? That's, that's just what they have to do. So 
Um, be careful with hyper hyperkalemia, severe renal vascular disease, and then pregnancy is the big one. You can't use ACEs or ARBs. What's the question? Is there a reason you would use an ACE other than an ARB? Is there a reason I would use an ACE other than an ARB? Because it's slightly cheaper. That's really the only reason. Yeah. So otherwise, all indications would, would be probably better because less of that. So. I mean, and most of the time, you know, right, you can get low sarcom for about the same price as lysinopril. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people be cautious with kidney disease because they're worried about the creatinine bump. Can you talk about that? Like the difference between AKI, creatinine, and CKD, and then like inhibitor right. use, and then like how much the creatinine allowed to go up. Right. So what's, what are you doing when you're treating someone with an ACE or an ARP? You're decreasing the afferent arterial, so you're getting less filtration by the kidney, right? So by filtrating less of the kidney, your creatinine is going to bump. That's just the nature of the medication and the way that it works. So you expect there to be some bump, you know, either 0 0.2, 0 0.3, something like that, you know, in, in creatinine right after starting them. And now that goes back to normal over time. So that's just a phenomenon that you notice the first couple of weeks and it should go back to normal. Now, if their creatinine goes up more than that 0.3, you know, then you're more worried about something else going on causing the, um, you know, uh, acute kidney injury. And so I probably would maybe switch them to a different one at that point, or if it goes up and then it never really comes back down. But most of the time you, you know that it's going to bump. That's normal. It's okay. It just doesn't, they're not doing any worse, right? They're just filtering it less with their kidney because that's the medication we put them on. We know that that's going to happen. We expect it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, ARB is pretty much the same. Belsartan, Losartan, Almosartan. I have some doses on here. This is just kind of in case you ever want to reference it again when you're looking to put patients on it. So, um, but yeah, same indications really as the, the ACE inhibitors. Calcium channel blockers. So amlodipine's kind of become one of my more favorites since getting out because it's really effective, especially in older patients, right? You know, older patients have those real brittle veins. And so by using a vasodilator, it is really effective at getting their blood pressure down. It's cheap. It's once a day do dosing. Now, the big thing with amlodipine, trying to avoid the 10 milligrams. I had a patient in my clinic this week. You know, he's on 10 milligrams of amlodipine and he's got pitting edema. Well, I wonder why, you know. So there's not a huge extra benefit going from 5 to 10 in terms of blood pressure control, but there is a lot of increase in, um, in side effects. So big things with calcium channel blockers is typically going to be lower extremity edema or dependent edema. So. Um, but yeah, you also use it with Raynaud's angina, right? You're dilating the vessels. So you're also dilating vessels to the heart. So patients that have angina, it's also a good medication for that. Um, non-hydropyridine calcium channel blockers. So we're not really going to use these for blood pressure specifically. These are going to be the ones, ditalzim, barapamil, you're really just using more for heart rate control than you are for blood pressure control. Remember, you can't use these in second third degree heart block. Um, thiazide diuretics. So patients that do already have edema, you know, this is a good one. Or you can even pair it with your amlodipine. If someone has starting to get some edema with the amlodipine, but their blood pressure is still not quite controlled, adding on a thiazide diuretic. So kind of have synergistic um, activity there. So by improving their edema. Um, it also is helpful for osteoporosis because you increase your calcium level by reabsorption. Uh, kidneys, you're not peeing out the calcium, so it's decreased your chance of kidney stones. 
Um, however, with gout patients, though, it also is increases uric acid level, so you want to avoid it in those gout patients. And then you got to check your uh, electrolytes every once in a while too, and then tell them to take it in the morning because you're going to be peeing all day. Um, sorry, I'm kind of droning on. There's a lot of medications here. Beta blockers, so cardioselective ones. These are more the ones you're going to want to be using for blood pressure specifically. Not as much first line. I see a lot of patients that come in just on metoprolol. Why isn't my blood pressure controlled? It's because metoprolol only decreases your blood pressure so much. So, um, but there are really good medications for heart failure, rate control. They're good for your heart, all that good stuff. Oh, taper, do you recommend say like? Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah. So absolutely. So if you stop one right right off the bat, right, you could potentially be having a heart heart attack. So it's usually over months if you can. So take their current dose, say they're on 100 milligrams of metoprolol a day, right? Cut them down to 50 milligrams for a month, cut them down to 25 milligrams for a month. And then at that point, you probably start to That's usually what I would do. Just slowly, month at a time is usually enough. Um, yeah, carbidolol, tenolol. Uh, Non-cardioselective non beta blockers. So I love propanolol, but not really for blood pressure specifically, but I have a lot of patients on tremors, anxiety, migraines, you know, and it'll help blood pressure on the side. So why not? And then lobetalol being the first line in pregnancy as well. So um, just be careful with asthma patients on these because they can make it worse. Smooth muscle vasodilator. So um, this is hydralazine is when I see cardiologists all the time on my patients that are uncontrolled. I send them over to cardiology. They start bumping up hydralazine really hardcore. And that's when they seem to, to really get it in after all the first line ones. So <laughs> use fairly high doses of hydralazine. Um, and then they also recommend can, combining it with a beta blocker or diuretic because it can cause reflex tachycardia and swelling. So drug-induced lupus is the big other side effect of it. Pretty short half-life, so it's going to be really needs to be four times a day of dosing if you're going to do it. I'll see patients on it hydralazine twice a day. I'm like, mm, even though it's kind of only treating half the day, then alpha 2 agonists. Oh gosh, clonidine. So, <laughs> how many people have seen someone that was given clonidine as a prescription by an urgent care or somewhere, right? You know, and now they're on it, and so. You have to tell them no. They're like, it works great. Every time I take my quantity, though, my blood pressure is perfect. And you have to tell them, well, yes, for the four hours afterwards, and then it's shooting back up. And that's why you're having these other ones. And you're in my office right now. I got a phone call because I have blood pressure if it's 200, right? So the clonidine, just avoid it in the tablet form, right? We're not trying to treat someone's blood pressure for four hours. We're trying to treat their blood pressure for 40 years. That's our goal. You know, it's long term effects of high blood pressure is much more than the short term effects. So patches of clonidine, though, is an option again, for resistant patients. Yeah, and then looking at, again, it can even be uh, potentially even fatal with, with, with withdrawal symptoms. So again, another reason to probably stay off of it. Um, potassium sparing diuretics. So if you want to add it onto your loop diuretics specifically, you know, these ones increase potassium versus those ones uh, decreasing potassium. So again, certain using synergy to try to treat the patient for whatever they're at. All right, so anyways, this patient, you uh, got the essential protocol, you checked your blood pressure a second time, it's still high, you diagnosed her with stage, stage two hypertension, you uh, started her on lisinopril, you chose lisinopril instead of 
Um, oh, sorry, sorry, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and uh, I instruct her to follow up uh, in one month. So she also states that she wants her husband to get screened. So what are your recommendations for screening blood pressure? Idea? So I was going after Sean, sorry. Angel, right? Oh, me? Yeah. Um, he could take his blood pressures at home. She has the monitor. Yeah, that's good. So he could take it at home. That's good. How often should he be checking his blood pressure then? Okay, that's fine. Um, specifically, so what do they, how often do they recommend seeing a doctor though to get screened? Three visits, right. But like in general, like how often should you see your doctor? Once a year, yeah. So you should you should come in, and they should always get your blood pressure when you're at the doctor. So screen your recommendations with normal blood pressure. Assess your blood pressure at least once a year. That way you know you have a trend to kind of keep an eye on. So, and then at least semi annually if they have risk factors twice a year. Then. All right, you check her A1C. Uh oh, now she also has diabetes. Is that going to change your goals for her for her blood pressure? What do you think? What's what's your new goal for her blood pressure? Yeah, so she's got more risk factors for kidney disease and stuff now and, and cardiovascular disease. So you're gonna want stricter blood pressure. So typically 130, 130 over 80, anyone with has high risk factors for um, vascular disease, coronary disease, history of history of any of this stuff, you know, puts you at, at risk of it. So coronary disease, stroke, type two, diabetes, CKD, heart failure, PAD, any of those sort of things, you want tighter control. So you really want their average to be less than 130 over 80. Everyone else kind of probably somewhere in between, but then you probably have the looser goal of 140 over 90, specifically with patients with falls, dementia, they live in a nursing home, orthostatic hypertension, limited life expectancy, so all those sort of things. All right, we got another guy, 74 year old. He went to go get his cataract surgery done and the ophthalmologist said, uh, your blood pressure is too high. Sorry, I can't do your surgery. Go see your primary care doctor. So he shows up in your office, says, doc, I'm fine. Just put me on something so I can go get my eyes fixed. So what do you want to do for him? Good. It would, it would kind of just be the same. Same kind of idea. Same kind of idea as what we did for the other one. Okay. So his, his blood pressure is a 74 year old. His blood pressure is 192 over 114 in your office today. How many people want to send him to the ER? Isn't that emergency or is that not high enough? Yes. So that's what we're going to get into. Yes, it is. So hybridism emergency. So it is. So no one wants to send him to the ER. Good choice. You guys are too smart. So. Um, yeah, but this is an emergency, right? His blood pressure has probably been this high for how long, right? He hasn't seen the doctor for 30 years. He's, you know, this wasn't an emergency yesterday. Why would it be an emergency today? Why do we need to send an emergency? Um, wanna, like you said, the key is decreasing him, um, not quickly, but over a period of time. So, all right, so that was my question. Yeah, so what's the difference between hypertensive urgency and emergency? Now I kind of have it up there already. So what's what's emergency? Let's, let's keep going, Chris. Uh, 180 over 120 plus organ damage. Okay. So what are some examples of organ damage? AKI. Okay. Uh, a bump troponin. Bump troponin. Yes. 
shortness of breath. Shortness of breath due to pulmonary edema. Very good. Yes. Stroke. Yep, that's a big one. Chest pain. That's pain. Yep. Going back to elevated troponin. Going back to pain. What else? Syncope. Okay. Good. What? Yeah, we got someone else new in the back. Do you? <laughs> do you know what do you want to say? Vision changes, good, okay. Liver disease, cystitis. Yeah, okay, eventually. Um, good, so there's a whole bunch of things. So these are the, lots of in-organ damage, right? Acute head injury or trauma would be a reason if their blood pressure is that high. Neurologic symptoms, so seizures, visual disturbance, agitation, syncope, um, ischemic or uh, hemorrhagic stroke. So yeah, obviously if they have a stroke, you know, sometimes when they have a high blood pressure, this, the first thing you want to say is why is their blood pressure this high, right? Especially if it's a patient that normally has normal blood pressure, why is their blood pressure also this big, you know, are they having a stroke? That's something we don't want to miss, you know? Um, retinopathy, um, probably aren't, I know I'm not good enough with bendoscopy to really make these diagnoses in the clinic, but you know, those definitely would be things that would, would be concerning. Nausea, vomiting, could be sign of increased intracranial pressure, chest discomfort or pain, severe back pain, concerning for dissection, uh, dyspnea due to pulmonary edema, um, pregnancy, you know, they recently used amphetamine or just discontinued clonidine. So these would be all reasons that they're reporting some of these signs that we would be like, no, no, we shouldn't just treat this in our office. We should send them over to the emergency room. They do need a, a quick, a further workup and quicker uh, uh, increasing on their blood pressure. So what are we, what are we going to order if we are in the emergency room now? So now we're concerned that someone does have an organ damage and they have this blood pressure. What do we, what do we want to order on them in the ER? What do you think? EKG, good. CMP. CMP, good. Um, creatinine. Creatinine, yeah, on the, C, on the CMP, good. What else? Cronin, yes. Else, Sean? I mean, depending on it, yeah, the symptoms, if you get a CT. CT, yeah. So if you're worried about stroke, you want to get a CT of their head, absolutely. Possibly chest x ray for dyspnea. Yeah, exactly. Looking for the pulmonary edema or looking for dissection or something else going on. Yeah. Anything else? I guess potentially the CT of the chest, also, if you're concerned, really concerned about dissection. We'd be able to do better on that. Uh, pregnancy test, sure. About that too. All right, so what about hypertensive urgency? It's also been renamed severe asymptomatic hypertension because it sounds less you know, threatening. <laughs> you can treat it in your <laughs> treat it in your clinic that way. So you still, there are still cases where if they have hypertensive urgency, you still would want to send them over to the emergency room, right? If you know they have an aneurysm. Their blood pressure is that high, you probably still should be careful. Um, but otherwise, yeah, hypertensive urgency, your goal is starting anti-hypertensives, following up in a week, slow decrease of, uh, of blood pressure again. So you decide this patient, uh, you're gonna just gonna treat him in the clinic. So would we wanna order anything for him in our in the lab or in, in the clinic for him today? Things is the last one. 
we can we can get a get made as well. What instructions are you going to give me? ER precautions. You have any chest pain, shortness of breath, severe headache, weakness, you need to go to the ER. So make sure you're definitely doing that. Um, good. Asymptomatic, would you get the EKG in office? So you could. Um, if he's not having any chest pain, I probably wouldn't. Um, time consuming, but otherwise not a lot of risk to getting an EKG for him. So. Yeah. Do you have any meds in office you would give him or you just fill him So I'd rather have him fill a prescription, right? I know his blood pressure is going to come down if I give him clonidine and put him in a quiet room, right? But again, after four hours after giving him clonidine, what's going to happen? You're right back up. So <laughs> I, there's just really not a, any benefit to it, I don't think. But I know other attendings even here would if somebody comes in with hypertensive emergency and you're going to send them to the ER, would you send them to the office? Uh, it depends what you're concerned for. Yeah, what the end organ damage is, right? If they have chest pain, yeah, let's give them some aspirin. You know, if <laughs> or a stroke, let's give them some aspirin. Um, but if it's a um, like in terms of antihypertensives, like you wouldn't give them like oral clonidine or something and then send them. Yeah, I mean, you you could you could. I don't think it would be wrong to, but. And they're watch they get to the ER and their blood pressure will be normal and the ER will be like, what you said up here? But yeah, anyway, so now let's go back to this guy. You've got him on the max dose of lysinopril, a decent dose of memlodipine and the max dose of hydrochlorothiazide. His blood pressure is still high. Uh-oh, what's going on with this guy? Secondary hypertension, yes. So specifically resistant hypertension. So we usually, you're not going to worry about resistant hypertension. You know, a lot of people, oh my gosh, I've titrated them all the way up to 40, all the way up to so this on amlodipine. It's really three medications is when you're concerned. So three medications is the point where you should probably start thinking about, is there something else going on? So what are our causes ever, or what can we, what are we looking for with resistant hypertension and what are we going to order? Ultrasound, uh, renal artery stenosis. Good. So, renal artery stenosis, get an ultrasound. What else? I'm thinking I don't know right now. Okay. Yeah. You think anything else, Abigail? If you're suspicious of a PO, then you'd get the urinary, like, what is it? Medical means. Yeah. Good. I would get a chem panel to check the potassium and the bicarb for my um, primary aldosterone. So that's a great way. So let's say you got it and their potassium slightly elevated and their sodium slightly low or something like that. What do you what do you want to order then to further evaluate? Do you know? Say that again. So what do you want to order further to evaluate for aldosteronism? So their chemate. Yes. Do you get the renin profile? Like do you check their renin levels and then their levels? Uh-huh. So I have to double check here on my, my notes. But yeah, it's um the plasma renin activity and 8 a.m. plasma aldosterone for So, yeah. Anything else? What else could we order? You think of other things resistant wise, Jan? Yeah. So, if they have, what do you want to do? Let's say they do have CKD, and that's probably why all these medications aren't working as well because they're still not getting enough fluid off. What do we, how can we, how can we help that essentially? 
Yeah. I read some, yeah. So put them on diuretics, you know, potentially if even dialysis, if, if they're to that stage, you know, where they need to be on dialysis. Then that's sometimes the only thing that will get their blood pressure low if their kidneys aren't working. Yeah, CKD. Um, so hyperaldosteronism, renovascular hypertension, CKD, obstructive sleep apnea is another one we want to evaluate for. And then just again, looking over their medications. And I guess more important than, than any of these that we forgot is make sure they're actually taking their medications. So <laughs> a lot of the times it comes back to that we forget about. You know. Oh, you look at their pharmacy list, you haven't you filled a 30-day script like six months ago. Oh yeah, I'm just taking, I took one this morning. Oh, you still have one left this morning, you haven't filled it, you know? <laughs> Definitely something to look out for. Um, yeah, and then the episodic ones, looking for pheochromocytoma. And then this was an interesting thing I've never heard of before, but if you're, you're telling them to lower the salt in their diet and you're not sure how much salt they really take, you can order a 24-hour sodium excretion. And so you will collect all their sodium that they've excreted for the day, and you can tell them how much sodium they've excreted for the day. <laughs> Seems like kind of a long way around it, but... I would essentially tell you, okay, your diet sodium is way too high. All right. I think that's all I got. I'm about out of time. So what, what other questions you guys got? Question. Yeah, first. Uh, what's your experience with using like those combo pills? Like yeah. are there any cheap go-to ones that you have? Yeah. So my go-to is amlodipine, benazapril. So amlodipine 5, benazapril 10. Benazapril 20, they have, um, it's like the same price as lisinopril or amlodipine, and it's a combination one. The other ones, a lot of the other ones are more expensive, so I don't usually bother with them. The annoying thing is every time you change the dose, sometimes they don't make a combination pill for that dose, so then you end up like, well, I was on one pill, now I'm on two pills. It's like, no, you were on two medications, you're still on two medications. But patients love just taking one pill instead of two if you can. Amlodipine benazapril is the one that I use the most. What else? So looking at secondary causes, how do you handle a patient if you're wanting to look like aldo level coronalactone? That's a good question. Um, they probably have to be off of it for at least a month before it would really be accurate. You're right. That's a good question. Dr. Allender says that he won't use a medication like that and then he'll get all the labs and then so I don't know. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. That's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. What else? In terms of like um, lifestyle or exercise, things that you tell patients like, what's your go-to starting slow and like attainable? Right. So 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Hopefully you can get out, go on a brisk walk for 30 minutes a day, five days a week. That's kind of, you know, it's free, right? Everyone can walk. I mean, their legs are functional and everything. <laughs> it's an assumption for a lot of our patients, but, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a great place to start. So 150 minutes a week, um, diet stuff, you know, half your plates, fruits and vegetables, you know, that's a huge thing. Most people don't eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. If you've got to talk to them, you'd be surprised. So that's a huge place to start. Salt, take the salt shaker off the table, you know, don't add it when you cook, don't. I think so those are, I mean, that's pretty easy. And then the other thing, talking to them about what foods have high size salt, a lot of them don't realize that they're, TV dinner that they eat every day for for dinner has like 200 or 2,000 grams of sodium, you know. So it's, it's probably probably good. What else? 
good. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, hopefully it helps. Uh, has the PowerPoint if you guys ever want to use it for reference or anything. But. Yeah, we'll send it out.